Good day and welcome to Minnesota Masonic Histories and Mysteries, where we will explore the origins of all things Masonic in our great state of Minnesota and perhaps uncover a few mysteries of our ancient craft along the way. As part of our new series of getting to know our past grandmasters, I have asked past grandmaster, most worshipful Tom Hendrickson, to join us today. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, John. I got to know Tom probably eight to ten years into my Masonic journey when he became grandmaster. What year were you grandmaster? Uh, 2011-2012. And who, who was it that appointed you to the line? Uh, Neil Nettermeyer initially uh, uh, appointed me as uh, marshal. Okay. And then I, I continued from there. That's an impressive heritage that you have there, lineage. I interviewed Neil a couple of weeks ago, and what a fascinating guy he is. Holy cow. Oh, absolutely. From one cop to another. You were a Minneapolis police officer? <clears throat> I was. And how long were you uh, a cop? I had the uh, the privilege and the honor of being a a public servant for 33 years. Wow. And when did you retire? 2014. One of the questions that I always ask is, you know, go back to your early days of masonry. What compelled you to become a mason in the first place? Well, my sister was a Job's daughter and all her, she had a whole bunch of cool friends and I get invited to a lot of different events and I, I said uh, to a bunch of the guys, I said, geez, how can I get to be part of you guys from the Malay? I said, well, you got to ask. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I got involved in Malay, And through that, you know, the, the World War II generation, those guys were very quiet yep. about their Masonic membership. My neighbors, my family members were all Masons. And I was a young man and the, the men in my life uh, weren't going to ask me till I was uh, 18. But uh, the, the people that I, I grew up with and I had a great amount of respect and admiration for. And uh, so I started off as a DMLA in, uh, in Richfield. Okay. So what, what lodge were you raised in? I was raised in uh, Century Lodge in Richfield. Okay. As I went through all the chairs, I had the uh, the, the privilege of helping merge Century Richfield into Cataract. Into Cataract, okay. And we had to sell our building through Power of Condemnations. That was an event, and we moved moved our lodge, and we rent space at uh, Minnehaha. Yeah, weren't you guys right where the Best Buy headquarters is? Our place was at 7615 Logan, which is part of the parking lot. Okay. But they paid a million dollars for that little parking lot. Oh, wow. I got to sign the check. Did you really? <laughs> I did, oh, yeah. that's cool. Last yeah. ones to, to settle on the whole thing. So. Okay. So you worked your way through the chairs, became the master of your lodge, and uh, were you involved in other Grand Lodge activities? Were you ever like a DR or any of that stuff? No. I was awarded a Hiram Award. Okay. And uh, Neil Nettermeyer and uh, Terry Tilton had come to it and recognized me as a leader. I was, you know, I had a, a young family. I was uh, very, very active in my, in my lodge. And uh, I had a very demanding career. And so I never ventured off into the other uh, Grand Lodge activities. So people tend to fall into one of three categories. They they tend to join 
masonry because of brotherly love, relief, or truth. They end up, you know, falling for all three of them. But initially, when you were brought in, was it uh, which of those three was it that attracted you the most to the craft? Brotherly love okay. and then truth. Okay. Introspection and, and learning to become a better man and applying the, the principles to my life. Well, I compliment my, my, my faith. Well, I know as a guy who signs all of the thank yous that, uh, that relief has become part of Tom's uh, priorities as well. So thank you for your support of Masonic Charities. It's a, it's a valuable institution. Tell me about your years as Grand Master. I remember those years well. I recall there was a story that you would often tell that if I, I mentioned the dog, that might uh, ring a bell with you. Do you recall that story? Oh, yeah. Could you tell that story to the brothers that are new that never got the opportunity to hear about that? Uh, it was kind of a life-changing moment for you, it sounded like. <laughs> yeah, I had the opportunity to save my own life. <laughs> uh, when I was in the Army, I had the privilege of being uh, a, a narcotic patrol dog handler. My dog's name was Sam. And one of the, one of the, the basic principles of a, of a dog uh, of a working dog is to be, the ability to track people. Yep. And it was January in, in Alaska. And uh, I had just gotten back from the kennel and someone said, there's a missing child. We need your help. And so the, the, the child was a challenged child okay. uh, with, with learning disabilities. And so I went and got my dog. We went to the home. The, the child had gotten off the bus, but didn't make it the, the 40 feet to the house. Oh, wow. So we get out there and we, uh, Sam and I get tracking and there's this large park with a, with a, a river that runs through it. And um, it was barely cold and get, uh, you don't get a lot of daylight uh, in the wintertime in Alaska. And so we tracked we tracked uh, through the park and up to the river, and we're exploring out of the river, and all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of crunching along, crunching along, and my dog turns his head and looks at me, and I go through the ice. Oh, jeez. And um, it was a scramble to, uh, you know, the shock and to be prepared for it and wearing long underwear, wool pants, uh, parka, gloves, the whole thing. And I was struggling and uh, I was having great difficulty getting out of the, out of the hole because the, the water had splashed up and made the ice slippery, uh, very smooth. Yeah. And as I was clawing, Sam came up. And he kept looking at me, and I reached up and I grabbed his collar, and he helped me get out of the hole. And it's sub-zero. I'm soaked. And the Army does a very good job at teaching you about survival. So we started running. And uh, long story short, it was a long run back to the main road, and uh, I was taken to the hospital. The child had uh, actually had walked around, got into the park, went home unbeknownst to everybody and had fell asleep between the bed and the wall. Oh no. Playing with his, That's playing right. With his toys. So it was not a heroic, 
a heroic act that I did was saving my own life. Right. But it was a it was a very good wake up call. Is that every day is a gift? And you bet. It. I always recall that story and the politics that are going on in the world right now and the the craziness that's happening in the Middle East. It does make you appreciate how fortunate we are here and moments like that really amplify the joy that you have just with the mundane tasks of a day that that, that story actually helped when uh, when i became grandmaster you know it, it's not being a grandmaster that where you do all your great work you do your great work when you're going through the 10 10 years you bet. to that job and so grandmaster is a victory lap and a celebration so I had started talking about as deputy grandmaster forming polar bear plunge teams across the state. Yeah, that's right. And we did, we, we worked with the Special Olympics because I had run in a couple of the law enforcement torch runs yep. with uh, various police departments uh, to, and raising money for uh, the Special Olympics. And the Grand Lodge of Minnesota, with the blessing of Minnesota Masonic Charities, raised seventy three thousand dollars. That's right. For Special Olympics. And across the state it was a great unifier. You know, when the Grandmaster gets to go to Duluth and jump with the guys in Duluth. When he jumps with the guys in Rochester and Farmington and the big finale was in Lake Harriet. Sure. And uh, it still was not as cold as that day in Alaska, but it was <laughs> It was great camaraderie. Uh, Lodges had a had a, a, a unifying charity, and they're still jumping to this day in Farmington and Rochester. So, one of the questions I'm going to ask you in a moment is, what are the greatest challenges of of masonry at this point in time? When I look back on those days, the unifying element of having everybody get behind a particular charity. It's a fun event and they're parts of a community event. I just don't feel like we're doing enough of that right now. No, and we, we have some real jewels in the crown. Uh, one is uh, Red Wing Lodge. Yep. And down there, uh, they do uh, a salsa. Salsalicious. Yes, sir. A, a salsa tasting eating contest involving all uh, 13, 14 different nonprofits and it brings five, six hundred people uh, to the St. James Hotel, and with the with the blessing of of, of Minnesota Masonic Charities as a partner in that, uh, able to raise a lot of money for a lot of great community uh, organizations that serve th- that town, people people that the guys that live there, people that they know, their neighbors makes uh, just a direct impact. I've had the privilege of being a judge at Salsalicious, and it's a huge event down there. I mean, it might be the largest charity event in Red Wing. And, uh, you know, I think of Eveleth Lodge. They've turned their their kitchen into like an industrial pasty kitchen, and they're raising money for all kinds of different organizations by partnering with these organizations. And then Masonic Charities... uh, gets to match their donations and it just it helps everybody. So it's wonderful. You know, having, having a common goal helps make your lodge relevant. Yep. And if your lodge isn't relevant, you're not going to be able to bring in good men to make them masons to become better. Well, let's, let's and, talk um, about that. 
Um, you know, when you look at uh, at the the modern lodge, you know, it's no secret that our membership numbers uh, have consistently been going down, like every other fraternal organization or membership organization in the country. Um, what is it that we're doing that you think we ought to lean into? What is it that we're doing as Masons that we should be focusing more of our energies on? Things and times change. You bet. But our principles don't. So what we need to do is introspection. We need to look at ourselves, see what who we are, and see what things there are today that can continue to make us relevant while preserving our, uh, our Masonic traditions. And it just means that we need to do things a little bit different. We really need to spend time with our members, get to know them even deeper, uh, because it's brotherly love. Freemasonry isn't at a GPS exact coordinate, and it's only practiced once a month. Freemasonry is a way of life. And if you know the people, you know their, what, what they want to do, they know their, you know their talents, and then you together uh, create programs and activities that are relevant. One of the things that I love about Minnesota Masonic Charities is our matching grant program. And I always say that the matching grant grant program is our opportunity to reflect the interests of the brothers and OES sisters throughout the the state, but particularly to what's important to them in their community. And it's yeah. not a one size fits all. And for Masonic Charities, we get the opportunity to attach our brand in some meaningful way to the brand of that lodge or that chapter. And I, I agree. I think that, you know, relevance and trying to find that thing that rings the bell with as many people, but most importantly, the people that you already have as members of your lodge. I've heard some crazy statistic that, and I don't know if this is statewide or if this was just to a, of a particular lodge. We have X number of people that that go through the first three degrees and something like 60% of them you never see again, which is just crazy if you ask me. And many of them will continue to pay their dues, but a healthy lodge is an active lodge with active members that are engaged. And it's one thing to have members, gross numbers, but it's another thing to have those numbers actually contributing and doing something to, to make the lodge more relevant. That's the most important part about the lodge is how you treat your new candidates. You know, Neil Nettermeyer said to all the, had all the masters rise. And he said, look at your candidate. Now be really nice to them because maybe they'll come back. Right. Yes. That sounds like Neil. <laughs> and that, that, that sums it up in a nutshell is that it, it's our contact. You know, it's, it's the phone call saying, Hey, I, Hey Tom, I know you're really busy, but, uh, are you going to be able to make it to lodge on uh, Wednesday night? And it's sending out, sending out a, a, an email. It, it, it's uh, the newsletter and what's going on and making that personal contact. And, you know, for me, it was instrumental that the old guys, the old guys really took an interest in me. Yep. Because the other guys, they're busy with families and working and they, they come in kind of disheveled and ah, I'm here, you know, um, it's, those guys that really 
was my hook to, to returning to, to Lodge month after month. Just from so. personal experience, I look at my relationship with the Don Seversons and Colonel yeah. Lettings and Chuck Dietzes of the world, and I've said this many times, and people that listen to this podcast probably get sick of me saying it, but the, to me, the most joyful part of the Masonic experience is the intergenerational exchange. You know, Absolutely. it's an opportunity for us young guys to to get those to get to know those older guys and vice versa. I think that connecting with the younger guys fills their cup as much as it does the other way around. Um Absolutely. So, I agree with you. I think that those guys that are raising families, they've got a lot going on, but the connection between those uh those people that are on the front end and the back end of that equation really is what makes masonry special. So another question that I always ask uh, guys when I have them on here is, if you were to give me your Mount Rushmore of influencers in your Masonic life, who would they be? And I know that, that it's a difficult question because you don't want to forget somebody, but that's just fine. We know that you have lots of Masonic mentors, but really, who are the ones that... Uh, that you connected with and they don't have to be famous ones like the Neil Nettermeyers, you know, they can be sideline guys. Bob O'Donnell from, um, from Century Lodge. Okay. Bob O'Donnell was with Northwest Airlines and we hit Ray France and, and we had a whole bunch of guys that were from, from Northwest Airlines. They were all in the mechanic shop and, uh, they were the ones that took the time, uh, and explain things and helped me uh, learn my ritual. It's, I'm not a great ritualist by any means, uh, but helped me learn the ritual. And, uh, oh, Gary Bill. Oh, gosh, you know, yes. And uh, Gem of just a guy. Great, great powerhouses of Masonic wealth and uh, information and caring and brother to brother. Neil Nettermeyer had a big personality, and I saw how using your personality, uh, which is one of the traits of a good leader, using your personality and influence to get people to do things and to motivate, to inspire. And the guy at the Delta ticket office in Las Vegas, Nevada, I was at a law enforcement conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. I had, to, I had received an award. And I had to get home for an emergency, and they canceled my flight. And I walked up there, and I showed him my ticket. I asked, you know, what can I do? And he says, I see you're a traveling man. You come from the east. And I said, yeah, I'm from Minnesota. Oh, that's funny. And he says, your ring, nice ring. And I went, yes, I'm Tom Hendrickson, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, what's the problem, Tom? And I explained to him. And he says, he looks over his shoulder and tells tells the clerk next to me, next to him that he was going to take a break. And so he worked on his computer. I was on Delta. And he walks me over to the United checkout. And he goes, they'll give you a ticket at United. And he got me on the plane. And he took, they got me home. <laughs> wow. I don't know how he did it, and he did it because I was a Mason. He was one of my heroes of, you know, taking the time to help, to taking a time of interest. I just have to tell you, I had a similar situation. I was down in 
the Virgin Islands. And my family and I were taking a a ferry from St. Thomas to St. John's. Okay. And on that ferry, there was this group of guys, native Virgin Islanders, if that's what you call them. And I noticed several of them uh, had uh, stuff on that had the square and compass. So I just went over and made a comment that kind of got a glance at me. And he threw me the grip and I threw it back at him. And these guys invited our family to go. They were having a, a, a lodge picnic over on St. John's Island. And they oh, treated cool. us like royalty. And what sure. was really cool is one of the guys was a jeweler. And oh. he said to me, I'd love for you to come to my jewelry store. I'll hook you up at a below cost. There's a part of you, if you hear that from somebody, generally speaking, you might be skeptical. But I just knew yeah. that this guy was a legit guy. And I we went and we bought my wife some uh, chocolate diamond earrings and a chocolate diamond ring. And it was quite an investment. But I had such trust in this guy. Sure. But uh, in the spirit of trust but verify, I took him to my friend at uh, Moeller Jewelers. <laughs> and I said, Bobby, is this stuff is this stuff good? And he looked at it and he goes, man, this is beautiful stuff. Where'd you get it? And I explained and... He was upset that I didn't buy it from him, but I said, <laughs> I said, this is what I paid for it. And he's like, that was a hell of a deal. So it's just, there is, there is that co- connection there that y- it's hard to describe, but I think that that's an example of how you just have a trust for the people that have the same values that you do. Um, you know, we talked earlier about your blog. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what inspired you to to start your blog and where people can find it? Well, my blog is called All Things Masonic at blogspot.com. And in 2009, I, I decided that, uh, well, first of all, I believe that Freemasonry is a way of life. And every day I think about it. How can I help it? How can I improve myself? And so I was always looking for information. That was like a three to five minute read. And um, because I had an active career, uh, active in in Freemasonry, and I didn't have a lot of time to sit and peruse, you know, all some of the great works. So initially I wanted to write a Masonic Almanac, something like that the old farmer's almanac yeah, yeah, for Freemasons, a place to find articles, information, inspiration for 365 days. Well, <laughs> you know, writing, having to write articles and research, I didn't have that kind of time. Right. That is a commitment. So blogs were just becoming pretty popular. So I thought I could, I could do that. So I initially started it off to be, you know, a short read, something you can read at work, something you can read after you put the kids to bed. And every article is related to Freemasonry. And probably to describe it, it's an assortment, a a medley, a patchwork of pieces that cover the wide range of Freemasonry and all the appended bodies. Like uh, being in the Grand Lodge and, and Grand Master, traveling across the state and the nation, uh, and I still do. Uh, so getting the content is easy. 
And uh, like in 2009, I, I covered the, the Charities Gala. Yep. And the all, all of the uh, Minnesota Masonic scholarships and, our, of course, our Masonic Hospital uh, uh, Cancer Center at the University of Minnesota and, and you know, tell people about those great, great things that go on. I just posted from our recent gala yesterday because my bicycle riding has been interfering with my uh, riding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were on a trip, weren't you? I went to Bemidji and I, I rode 72 miles in one day on the Paul Bunyan Trail. Oh, boy. So that'll, that'll get you where it counts. So I, <laughs> I, I, I've written about 350 articles. Wow. And I always try to do something relevant and uh, uh, on a, a wide range of, of subjects, uh, different events. I was just in Cannon Falls. And when I go to lodges, I try to take pictures and tell the story with photos as well. But I also always want to point out the quality of leadership that these lodges are demonstrating to inspire other people and other lodges to do more things like it. Uh, Cannon Falls had a hayride and a barbecue. And one week before they returned to uh, lodge after being dark for the summer, they had like 40 people, <laughs> you know? Wow. So, and then they had 36 people for their first meeting. So it, it you know, getting people back after COVID has been a tough task. You bet it has. For our lodge, other Grand Lodges as well. Yeah, and, and I think this is I don't think the, that's exclusive to Masonry. I think there are just so many organizations that COVID created just this whole, you know, I hate when people say new normal, but it really is what it is. It has. I, I think people have become lazy. And, and when Netflix is your biggest competitor. Yeah. <laughs> Good. God help us. So, yeah. Well, that's but wonderful. When I, the, when I go to lodges, I always try to show the leadership or the inspiration that, that's going on. You know, I, um, I've i written a, a number of articles that have appeared in, in the National uh, Knights Templar magazine, the Royal Arch magazine. Oh, cool. And they're being used, a lot of these pieces are being used for lodge education across the United States and world. Some that is very cool. Yeah, there's there so, are there are uh, quite a few Masonic scholars right here in the great state of Minnesota, and you know, there are. quite a few of them have served uh, as Grand Master, and uh, I just hope that the, the the young Masons that are out there uh, get the opportunity to get to know you guys better, and and I'm hoping that this podcast is one way for people to 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 understand their Masonic heritage and the people that came before them, and all the work that's been done. And I, uh, Tom, am grateful for, you know, your interest in specifically Masonic Charities because, you know, it's it's so great to see past Grand Masters, you know, coming back and, you know, participating and contributing and being cheerleaders. And the fact that you addressed, you know, the Masonic Charities Gala in your in your blog, it's just another way for people to learn more about the impact that we as Masons are having on, you know, not just the state of Minnesota, but in, in our local communities. But, you know, some of the stuff that we're doing is really impacting the world 
When you it look is. at the, the, the research that's being done at the Masonic Cancer Center, the Masonic Institute for the Developing Brain, you know, I, I have a particular interest right now in our scholarships program, specifically our selfless scholar program. And I always will take an opportunity to promote that because I feel like of all the scholarships we do, that one is the most Masonic. You know, it doesn't require you to be a 4.0 with a 35 ACT. If you're a person who meets others on the level and make others feel like they matter and are selfless enough to take the time to recognize those other people in your life, uh, that just feels so Masonic to me. And uh, it's been a real fun time presenting those scholarships throughout the state of Minnesota. And the, self, and the Selfless Scholar Program is a wonderful way to reward and inspire others to be a good person and to do good things. And right now in this world, what more do we need oh boy. You know, at this time? Ain't that the truth? Anyways, on that note, Tom, I will let you go. Most Worshipful, I uh, appreciate your time. and t- t- tell, Give us the name of your blog one more time. The name of my blog is All Things Masonic Okay, at Blogspot. At Blogspot. All right. Well, people listening, check that out. And uh, again, thank you, Tom, and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, John. All right.